0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Launch with Tech Leaders. My name is Adam Oberhausen. I'm the vice president of customer solutions with right Brain Networks, and I'm your host for today. Joining me today is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Howdy. It is also my honor to introduce Lancelot Carlson of House HealPay, the first of his name, co-founder of Payment Realms, Lord of Ruby Development, Warden of Artificial Intelligence, Sovereign of Entrepreneurial Ventures, and Ambassador to the Great
1: Lakes Tech Leaders. Thanks for joining us,
0: Lance. Nice. That was amazing, Adam. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Was that all you or was that... Uh... Oh, come on. I don't have a creative thought in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not wasting the time to put that prompt in <laughs> just for me.
0: And also, uh, yeah, congrats on... Uh, your growing family Lance it's uh I know it's a ways out but uh got some additional twin, some twins on the way to make your 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 family grow to uh five children here it's
1: gonna be amazing thank you yeah nice. I mean, I I'm I'm looking forward to it but it's it's also this kind of storm that's brewing as far as my <laughs> sleep goes
0: uh so in this episode uh we're gonna be discussing the birth of the agile manifesto and I'm gonna be doing a series on agile and um I want to start with like the beginning, right? Um, and I think it's really interesting history. I think a lot of people probably know the gist of the history, but I think we're, we're going to go back even further to like the 30s and 40s and uh, kind of explore how software development, you know, evolved over those decades, and then what led to the agile man- the summit in and, and 2001 and then kind of reflect on the 20 years since the Agile Manifesto was posted and kind of share our thoughts on it. So, And for future topics, I want to cover things like the Agile planning game, Agile programming, Agile teams, and um, how Agile goes wrong. Uh, but again, today we're going to focus on the origin story. I'm going to be talking at you guys quite a little bit here as I share the research I did for the show, but uh, you know, feel free to interrupt. I'm not an expert, like if you ask me some details on what I'm about to share, I don't know if I'll have the answer, but we can always look it up. Um, the source material for this episode is, um, you know, my uh, my personal hero, uh, Robert Martin, Uncle Bob. So that, you know, he was one of the authors of the Agile Manifesto. There are 17 authors, so he doesn't, he's certainly not the, doesn't take credit for it, uh, but he's one of the 17 that were there. And uh, yeah, so here we go. So let's start by picturing ourselves in an era where computing is at its infancy. So, you you know, you think of Alan Alan Turing and a handful of colleagues are the only programmers in the world, right? So what methodology do we think they must have followed, right? I mean, it it was probably something like very rudimentary, uh, but, you know, they write the code, they compile the code, they test the code, they debug the code, and they repeat until it's correct, Right pretty standard. But pretty quickly after, you know, that initial group of programmers were doing their thing, the the growth of programmers started to balloon and all sorts of in- initiatives got kicked off. So it was pretty, you know, early on they needed a structure, structured development process. And as with all projects, like you need an emphasis on completing software projects within the constraints of time and budget, right? Everyone wants to know how long it's going to take to deliver your software. So What's important to know at the time is there was already some recognized processes due to the industrial revolution that had taken place in the 40 years prior, right?
2: I feel like a lot of it, right, comes from either engineering or science, right? Borrowing the techniques, you know, from previous, right, industries. Mm -hmm. Agile, I mean, has a lot of roots from Toyota, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So... The individual that we should highlight here is a, a gentleman by the name of Frederick Winslow, Winslow Taylor. For the four decades prior to computers being real, Taylor did these detailed studies on worker efficiency and transformed industrial production. He was one of the first people that became a major consulting firm that focused on efficiency, one of the first ever management consultancies in the country. So his his principles heavily influenced a lot of the business processes and uh, pretty much had global ramifications. So by the, by the, by the 1950s, the, the Taylor doctrine of systematic processes had pretty much permeated all of corporate landscape. However, going back to the 1930s, there was a different set of concepts that began taking shape. Those concepts were defined mostly by Walter Stewart. at Bell Labs. He devised a methodology called Plan, Do, Check, Act it's very distinct from taylorism it was designed to be it, it iterative and incremental and these concepts were honed and popularized by edward deming as statistical process control and deming actually expanded the reach of these ideas when he uh, assisted post-war japan in rebuilding their economy in the 40s and 50s his work there caught the attention of the dod and He applied these techniques to um, the Mercury space program, and what's really interesting about this is that this was a very, very iterative, very small cycle approach. They were doing for the Mercury space program. The developers would have a half day to develop. They would actually write their unit test. They would write tests first. They would write their code in a half day. By the end, by that half day checkpoint. They had to commit their code um and you know finalize it and, and push it to, to main, whatever they were whatever version control was in the fifties. I'm not sure how that worked.
1: I think it was um, still master.
0: Yeah. Um so very interesting to hear that there was sort of this small batch iterative cycle mentality at the initial outset of programming. It wasn't until the nineteen seventies when a guy named Winston Royce published a paper called Managing the Development of Large Software Systems. By that time, software had been around, but there was still, you know, Taylorism was heavily embedded into the into the corporate world, and people wanted, you know, structure, predictable methodology, the ability to predict how the, the cost and timing of software systems. And so people naturally gravitated towards this Taylorism methodology because it provided that. So this guy Winston Royce he he writes this paper and even in the paper it's kind of tragic like in the paper he talks a lot about small iterative cycles and things that you know lead to better software but the only thing that people could focus on were the big the big breakdown of the process which was you know you've got your this is this essentially created waterfall right you have your 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 requirements your analysis and your implementation. So it just put everything in these beautiful three buckets. There's actually a nice little chart that looks like, you know, water going, flowing down rocks and that's how the name waterfall came, which I thought waterfall just meant like you deliver everything at the end. That's why it's called a waterfall. But actually there's, there's these steps. You do system requirements, software requirements, analysis, program design, coding, testing, and operations. And it's all like this little step down. So. For whatever reason, I think just because of the the impact of Taylorism, software development just gravitated towards this waterfall approach. And they said, oh, finally, we have structure. Uh, all we have to do is, you know, document all these things, and then writing the code will be simple. So I think it made a lot of sense on paper. And, you know, with, with the rollout of waterfall you started having this proliferation of software design notations. Um, so you—that's where like the, the the data flow diagrams came, and class diagrams, and sequence diagrams, which they were useful in their own right. But the problem was that developers started to believe that the well-drafted documents would automatically translate into effective code, um, which was very far from reality. What's crazy is like they did this for like 30 years, right? I mean, they, they did this waterfall approach. It wasn't until like the, the, the late 80s when there was a, a study conducted by the DOD by a gentleman named Stanley J. Jarzombek. They looked at 37, do- $37 billion worth of Department of Defense software projects using waterfall. Of those findings, 46% of the projects were never even used while only 34% saw use after initial release, most of the features developed were seldom or never used. So it was like a pie chart. It's basically, it's like 29% the software was paid for, but not delivered. 20% software used, but needed extensive rework. And then 46%, you know, basically software was delivered, but never successfully used. So, I mean, it's pretty... Those oh, so those are numbers,
1: yeah, than, yeah. Those are higher than I would have thought. Actually, planning that much is is alluring because you think you're you've got everything planned, so you should be able to execute. And then also you you think you cover all your bases because, like, especially with government contracts, you have all of these uh, you know uh, regulations you have to comply with. Basic compliance, you know, pl- compliance is a big reason that people think planning, you know, ahead of time is is a big deal
0: yeah and software projects would fail and they would say well we must have not done a good job documenting the requirements we, so they just kept like adding more bloat to doubling like down the, doubling down on the, you know we need the documentation we there's something must be wrong with the way we plan this out right um and it it when i was doing the research for the show it was just like man how how different would software development be if they had stuck if they had kind of gravitated towards the Walter Shewart method about the plan, do, check, act, which was more iterative in nature and, you know, small batches. Like, how much different would software development be if we hadn't kind of almost lost those 30 years of the waterfall void? Uh, Really interesting to think about.
1: Maybe ChatGPT would have been released uh, 10 years earlier. Yeah. Who knows? So even though there was all this evidence that
0: waterfall was like not working um there were still just people just wanted to cling to that to their process. It wasn't until around the early, the mid 90s when the um that cracks in the in the waterfall armor began to really shine through
1: well I, I'm curious were there any like major in that period of time were there major successes where I mean there must have been some you know hey this worked so. We should keep using it
0: i'm sure there was i don't have any on, on the top of my hand i'm I've no, like every software project didn't fail right right you know and obviously a lot of companies were built around software that are still in business today during that time period so
1: they they must have they obviously made it work maybe the one in five projects were doing something we don't know about Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, it would be interesting to see, like, everyone's doing waterfall wrong. <laughs> but that's a good, that's a good, to, I like that, your thought there, Lance,
0: like, look at what was successful, like, because there had to, it'd be interesting to see, um, you've heard of, um, you know, when they would analyze the B2 bombers, when they would come back from their runs in World War II, they'd look at where the, all the bullets were and be like, oh, you know, we need more shielding in the spots where the bullets aren't, because those are the planes that are probably falling, right? Right. So, yeah. In the early 90s you got some that's when you you know some of the Mike Heroes kind of became players in the space. Uh you've got uh you know James Coplin and Robert Martin and Robert Fowler. These guys were pretty much just like others work. There was a lot of respect in the community for what the thoughts that were coming out. You've got the Gang of 4 was releasing the design patterns. There was um some conferences where these guys would get together and, you know, share thoughts and ideas and start to realize that there had to be a better way to do these things. And there was a particular paper that stood out by um, James Copland that introduced a lot of these concepts that are part of Agile now, like um, developer controls process, architects also implements, code ownership, Application design is bounded by test design. So these ideas were pretty new at the time, but they and ultimately became some fo- foundational elements of Agile. Around that time is when guys like Ken Schwaber, Schwaber and Jeff Sutherland um, submitted the, their their paper called Scrum Development Process. Um, there was uh, guys like Jeff DeLuco who started developing feature-driven development Uh, Alistair Cockburn worked on the crystal family of methodologies and other folks were working on systems like uh, dynamic systems development method, rapid application development, um, which is the work of James Martin. All these things were happening in the 90s and like it just seemed like there was the winds of change were were right there. One of the areas that my personal hero, Robert Martin, gravitated towards was something called extreme programming, which we've heard of. Um, that was that was that kind of came out of the '90s as well. So, how the Agile Manifesto came to be, as we kind of transition into this part of the the talk here, is um, that Kent Kent Beck and Robert Martin wanted to get together and um, put together an Extreme Programming leadership meeting. Um, so they 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 put the word out to all those those guys I had just mentioned, and there wasn't a lot of excitement for it outside of Martin Fowler. And so Robert Martin and Martin Fowler got together a few weeks later in Chicago and they, they talked about, you know, how are we going to do this? They reached out to Alistair Cockburn, who, and they wanted to, they reached out to him to discuss developing a lightweight process summit. Um, it just so happened that Alistair had already been researching venues for like a, you know, a developer summit and uh, suggested that they use the Snowbird Lodge and then this meeting was set for february 2001 and to their surprise all of these major players in the in the software development space said yeah i'll be there and so the the 17 there were 17 in total 17 guys attended the the this this get together at the snowbird lodge and it again it consisted of all those individuals from all these different emerging disciplines of software development and uh for two days, they sat and whiteboarded on the Agile Manifesto. You know, there's a lot of debate about what, who said what, and whose idea was who. But it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, friction around it. it. They know there was, you know, 17 people there. A lot of things were said. Who gets credit doesn't really matter. But what what came out of that was the Agile Manifesto. Ward Cunningham was the was is get is credited for suggesting that they they put the agile manifesto online for people to sign and review. So if you haven't seen it, which I hadn't actually looked at it um until I researched the show, it's just agilemanifesto.org and you can see the agile manifesto and you can it, it very much looks like a website that was built in the 90s. Uh it's beautifully simple. The manifesto itself is is beautifully simple. The 12 principles of agile are, are beautifully simple and I I was I had never read it. Like I had never like taken the time to like read the site or really like, I, I thought it would be like, you know, this 150 page document or something, but it's really, (laughs) it's just four lines.
1: It's beautiful too.
0: Yeah. Do you want to, you want to read the agile manifesto to us, Lance? (laughs) Uh, The 12 principles. The main page, like
1: individuals are in interactions or the four. Ah, Yes individuals and interactions over processes and tools working software over comprehensive documentation customer collaboration over contract negotiation responding to change over following a plan that is while there is value in the items on the right we have value we value the items on the left more and so the um the webpage actually has the stuff on the left, the first sort of three to two words that I said uh, in a bigger font to emphasize that. Yeah, and I think that's like a
0: that final touch of saying, hey, we value this stuff on the right, but we value the stuff on the left even more. Like, I think that really resonated with the people who first saw this manifesto. And I think it's just a nice touch there because like you could... If it didn't have that, it would, it would be unclear if that other stuff is even important, right? So I think this, that that final nuance is, is an important piece of it. So that was, yeah, that was the that was the, the the Snowbird Summit, and that was a pivotal moment that shaped the future of software development. Um, I can't think of another document or software paradigm that has had so much impact on software industry maybe ai might have that impact uh, if we reflect on it 10 or 15 years from now but it just seems like this is it was a pivotal moment and i think the guys that were there kind of knew they were onto something really important
1: i think it's not just uh you know it applies to software right i mean it applies to just building products in general a lot of the time i mean obviously there's a lot of very specific things here to software but if you're building cars for example like it still applies even if there's no software Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i think like the issue comes when um like we talk about serverless or devops right that the word gets used for marketing purposes right and it gets you know different definitions here and there you know it depends on who you're talking to and i'm sure you could ask you know i don't know 10 people right and they would say oh this is agile right but not really hitting on any of these kind of four um values uh so yeah it's that's interesting you know you ask oh we're doing agile what does that mean to you oh well you know we're using this tool that our vendor gave us that makes us agile right or something like that so yeah
0: yeah um that's something you should we should definitely like touch on like the people modify it there's adaptions there's interpretations right it's, programmers it's, managers corporations is you, you know i'm actually agile if it's a process right i don't know <laughs> i think when I, when I reflect on my career right i got i started my first real job in around 2005 2006 working for a software company and even by you know at that time the software company was not even aware of agile or doing agile and it wasn't until uh, I don't know you were there, Tom. When did we when did we start doing Agile, or you know, we started doing Scrum, which I guess is that Agile, um, but it was probably like twenty ten ish, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, so you know, ten year It took nine years for a company in Michigan to catch word of Agile. I'm not sure how, but it seems like we, at the time we were doing waterfall it's we were doing like the releases once every 12 to 18 months revenue was good the company was successful we didn't know there was a better way or maybe we did or you know we just didn't weren't able to communicate to the to the owners of the company that we needed to change our ways so i think a lot of it had to do with we we were transitioning to be a more web focused company versus a um a desktop solution and we brought in some consultants who helped us. We brought them in and they were like, what do you mean you guys aren't doing agile scrum? Like, are you guys?
2: I mean, it always helps with the catalyst, right? We, I feel like you're yeah. always trying right here and there, but in order to get everybody on board, right? It might be one team or whatever, but to get everybody on board, you got to kind of bring in the third party or something big has to change to, to shake it mm-hmm. up, right? Right, The executives, right? They, they don't like to, uh, if it's working, right? i'll fix it well, if it isn't broken
1: i'm assuming that it wasn't your repercussions weren't that big of a deal because like you were releasing version one and version two and and we right. were paying for that version so you know
0: yeah but once we realized we could you know you can sassify a desktop product right you can just you don't need to wait 12 to 18 months to release you can just get them on the subscription and start trickling out features you know Smaller batches, less risk, all that good stuff apply, applies even to desktop software. So curious to know your your experience He's... with Agile. Lance, did you know about it right away or did you start using it as soon as it, like when the manifesto dropped, did you, did you know right away or do you, did it take some time for that information to find its way into your web browser?
1: I have since some, my early career been in startups. So... I knew about agile really early on and I went to, I would attend a lot of conferences and software and you know, you'd see people like from ThoughtWorks and stuff like that. So thought leaders in agile. So I, I did have a very early understanding of agile, which was actually not my ver- very early of, uh, understanding of agile was actually not uh, the good a good one because the way that I had implemented it at startups that i was at and had started so some of the things that i did were i think detrimental to the to the progress of the team and i definitely noticed some problems with the way that i implemented it but then i learned and i have a better understanding of kind of the i think with anything like when you're learning how to program a new programming language you need to write it you have to you have to write code and that's the same thing with uh this software development process is that you have to implement it you have to use it you have to live it breathe it and then figure out okay in certain situations this makes sense and in other situations this makes sense
2: yeah it, it's it's kind of hard when um you're working on something you don't understand you don't know the why right the context behind it and it's like oh you know why why do i have this constraint right it's it's hurting me and it's not until you know you experience the hurt of not doing that right to you learning it so yeah it's learning the hard way
1: for example weekly iterations was one thing that i did in one of in my early startup days and i actually don't think that was great uh we moved to two week iteration cycle it was just too fast and too at least for the team that i was dealing with it just didn't you know there was no time to debug and test and and whatnot and it didn't give any breathing room and and then obviously part of that is that the scope of the work that we were asking to get accomplished we were sort of estimating and and like this this should get done in two weeks right but then we never would leave time for debugging and everything else so
0: Mm -hmm. and now you're on six week cycle using shape up which is uh kind of a uh call it a uh, grandchild of agile or something yeah yeah when you look at again kind of reflecting on my career and knowing that you know since 2010 the companies i was working for were doing some type of agile scrum process but yet the dates for delivering things on time was almost always not accurate right some you know sometimes it was sometimes it wasn't so i i just think like there's still problems with agile i don't think agile tries to if you look at the manifesto it it doesn't indicate that it's going to solve all your problems or you know deliver software on time every time there's no guarantees with with the agile manifesto which i like I do think that companies and stakeholders still get hung up on the dates of when something's when it wants to get done and they, they force engineers to reverse engineer when something's going to get done, even though there's so many unknowns to deliver quality software that I just don't know if the industry will ever get away from that. And it kind of frustrates me. Like, like I know enough about software development now where it's like, I wouldn't I wouldn't put a date on when something needs to be delivered. I'd say oh, let's keep iterating on it until our market tells us it's good enough or our revenue indicates that whatever we've delivered is is resonating with the market. I know and I know that just doesn't fly in the corporate world, but it just I, just, I don't I, I feel like we're not able to as engineers, as practitioners, we're just not able to communicate that in an effective way to the decision makers of of the universe.
1: There are very real real repercussions for not being able to manage a customer's expectations around that because if a customer thinks that they can get software delivered by a certain time and you haven't told them that that's just not the reality of software they can sue you you know for not delivering on that they can make you sign a document saying you you are going to deliver this for this much at this time and and then they can ask and then a lot of times they'll ask for more features and scope they'll be like the thing you delivered me wasn't what i wanted and then and then you're just scrambling to make that happen and then by the end of the period then you don't deliver what they were expecting what they in their mind were expecting because you didn't have enough time or you didn't spend enough time trying to learn what exactly it was that they wanted prior to that maybe with prototypes and faster iteration cycles yeah at the end of it trying to deliver on that and then you know you, you're just putting a lot of risk on yourself with with allowing them to put dates on you.
0: The biggest monumental example of that is healthcare.gov, which I've mentioned on a previous show mm. where uh, Congress and the president actually signed into law the date in which a software piece of software would be delivered. Um, and it's just like, of course, we all know how the, the launch of uh, healthcare.gov went and uh, some of the challenges they had. And it's just crazy to think that, you know, you can just pick a date and wave a magic wand and and make that happen without actually iterating on and building the software in in the most efficient possible way. So that's all I got for this episode, guys. You got any anything else you want to share? Any any kind of uh, experiences with your agile experience? I,
2: I would say you know everyone to to read this and take it in right and. And, uh, and leverage it so you know when you're in this situation and it comes down to whether it's internal or external customers right and it seems like it's that contract negotiation you know just pr- we're agile right we don't do that contract negotiation right it's more of that customer collaboration and, and iterating and so yeah throw, throw it back whenever you know a lot of companies all the companies say they're agile right it's like okay well then we, we're not doing that we're not doing contract negotiation dance right this is you know or find different customers the other thing too
0: yeah i think that's a good point tom i think we should i should probably share the 12 principles of the manifesto perhaps you'd like to read them lance so if you got the site up i can pull it up if you you don't have it up sure. but again they're, they're simple small digestible if you're in the technology space you should know
1: these and you should you should kind of they should resonate with you so go ahead lance Especially your managers, and your, yeah. your customers, and, you sh- and your project managers. Principles behind the Agile manifesto. We follow these principles. Our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. Welcome changing requirements even late in development. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. Deliver working software frequently from a couple of weeks to a couple of months with a preference to the shorter timescale. Business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project, build projects around motivated individuals, give them the environment and support they need, and trust them to get the job done. The most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is face-to-face conversation. Working software is the primary measure of progress. Agile processes promote sustainable development. The sponsors, developers, and users should be able to maintain a constant pace indefinitely. Continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility. Simplicity, simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not done, is essential. The best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. At regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behaviors accordingly.
0: There they are, the 12 principles
1: behind the Agile Manifesto. And I would like to say that I don't think that everything on here should be considered, you know, be, you should take the pieces that work for you and your situation and your team, and you shouldn't you shouldn't just blindly consider this dogma and that you must do all the things the way that it's sort of prescribed here. You should adapt just like the, you know, the word agile. You should adapt it to your team and what makes sense, um, because obviously uh, there's a, it, it, there's a lot of stuff in here, a lot of debate around you know can remote teams work and you know face to face you know conversation is the number one thing and it's like well you know th- there are ways to do this without having face to face conversations these days um, and this was also written before we did have really good meeting software you could do online and it was before covid so this might even need some adaptation that one stuck out in the one like releasing monthly or whatever like it's like
0: you should you should be releasing like daily if you can at least every hour if you can clayton welcome to the show you got a question for us
3: yeah i guess i uh so i should give a disclaimer that i'm not i don't consider myself a proper developer programmer um but You know i took some classes at wcc and one of those was the team programming class where we talked about the software development cycle and uh you know some of the history of it and and then agile i just got the sense that there's a sort of an intensity and fervor uh with agile or implementing agile maybe i'm wrong about that with scrums and sprints and And I've never worked in like a software shop, I guess. So I I guess I don't know that firsthand, but I just got that sense that there was that. But then when I read this, the manifesto, and we looked at that in our class too, and just the sort of core principles, it's very calm and cogent and, and just makes a lot of sense and doesn't seem to align with what I picture as this sort of intense kind of process, you know. Getting everyone together, sprinting. I mean, I, I, I just wonder if there's if there's some kind of per, perversion of the principles or what it actually means, what it actually says in the manifesto, you know what I mean? I in in reality, in
1: this sort of the boots on the ground sort of side of things. Does that make sense? I know I'd argue there's a lot of, you know, the tech world is VC backed a lot of it, right? And so there's this this pressure to be first to the market. And so, because of that pressure, you're 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 going to have these incentives where you're just like, we need to, we need to turn our developers into coal miners. So that doesn't yeah. so that doesn't come with agile necessarily. That
3: just comes with the that's the that's the environment. That's the that's yeah. the company okay.
0: culture. That's, yeah. You, know, you have to yeah. and you know it right away. If the company culture, if you're always in crunch time, right? It's really common in the in the game development industry. Crunch time. We got to get the game shipped. Um, happens in Small software companies is just as likely as well, and you just got to be wary of it. It's hard to change an entire company culture on your own, but that is you know part of what agile is about. So, yeah, I would just say try to find a shop that has a good culture and, and really embraces the principles of agile and doesn't embrace you know crunch culture and breaking your back and um you know all that stuff yeah. because that's yeah. definitely not what um, agile is all about i do think some of the verbiage and scrum doesn't help right when everything's a sprint and you get your sprints over you you retro and okay let's start another sprint like i think just the some of the with the wording around scrum doesn't help but uh-huh. the reality is it's all about how your company culture and if they've got a good policy around work-life balance and you know i've always so- been of the opinion where if you if you're an athlete and you overwork yourself you're not going to perform well right so athletes are going to perform best when they're well fed well rested and and that's been my mantra with the teams that I've managed so that's <laughs> I always want to hear that yeah right that,
1: do we always have to be sprinting I mean we can be you know if, if we're trying to learn something sure right it, product development is so difficult. Like trying to find product market fit. And when you don't have that and you don't have, you know, your money is short, budget is only finite. Like, yeah. Okay. Let's sprint and try and figure this out. Let's try and figure out like, how do we get a a user to like, or use the thing that we're using? Of course, that, that feels like a, a, a moment where you, you, you gotta get everyone sprinting. But then once you've figured out something, the maintenance of that thing, I don't think you necessarily have to be sprinting all the time. There, there are learning moments where it could make sense to do these faster iteration cycles, but then other times where you can like, okay, we're just trying to develop a feature, you know. That's why I like uh, shape Up. Check out ShapeUp methodology,
0: Clayton. It actually has a built-in decompression period. What, what's it, is it called? The break or the what's it called, Lance? The cool down. The cooldown. down. As, you know, you do six-week cycles with like a two-week cooldown period where you kind of catch your breath, fix the bugs you know, to deal with tech debt, whatever it might be. But it, I think it's, I like, I like what, I like the direction shape ups going.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. That's, uh, yeah. that's helpful. Thanks.
0: All right, everybody. That's uh, going to conclude our show for today. So want to thank my guests, uh, Tom and Lance, for joining me today. I hope everyone found the conversation informative and valuable. Love to have you join us again next week, where we're going to be talking about... Yeah, we're going to be getting back to Ray Welker talking about the human side of infrastructure's code, training, onboarding, and culture. So, um, hope you guys can tune in. Thanks for joining. Great to have someone hop on stage and talk with us for once, Clayton. That's uh, exciting. Wish everyone a great week and talk to you soon.
1: Bye. Thank you. Thanks.